0: Fun one for you today. Um, In front of me, or not necessarily in front of me, but on the phone, I have a good fraternity brother of mine who is a social worker. He's an activist. He currently lives in New York. And uh, I'm not even going to try and attempt to, um, how should I say this, Uh, pronounce his name? Because from what I hear, he has a a pet peeve if people kind of say his name wrong. So I'm going to let him introduce himself to all of you so um have at it my friend
1: uh thank you so much um hi my name is christino chavez um yes i am a social worker and activist and still surprised that i have my sanity
0: (laughs) and it's it's got to be hard man because you kind of think about it you're you're living in new york where where it was like the heart of the pandemic, if you kind of think about it, I guess the way the news kind of brought it out, right? New York. And you're having to do your job, social work. So, I mean, and I'm sure it's just crazy, man. There's a whole lot of mental health, distraught, uh, just a lot going into that, right?
1: Yeah, it's um, the one thing that a lot of people aren't really taking into account because, because of them thinking about pandemic being the more medical issues problems with the people's health, people dying, and economy, we totally forget about mental health, which is now much more uh, prevalent than ever before.
0: It's it's just nuts. You know, um, I've spoken to uh, other uh, mental health experts in the past, and um, what I'm hearing now is, you know, we need to make sure that our mental health is definitely getting taken care of, especially during a COVID culture, I guess you can say because you know we have a lot of people that are either stuck at home, um, they're not going out to kind of relieve that stress like they're used to, they don't have another secondary outlet to utilize. So people are just kind of distraught and trying to find a, a different avenue to take in order to release that stress um, that they're currently facing today. So there, there's a lot to go into it. So I, I wanna ask you this, man. Um, in social work, since you are in social work, uh, is there something that you currently specialize in right now? Because I know there's different fields, right?
1: Yeah, so um, that's the wonderful thing about social work. You can pretty much do anything and everything that you really want to get yourself into. Um, in, as a social worker um, my I am a program coordinator uh, full-time, which is pretty much Developing programs, coming up with ideas and initiatives um, for projects that are within the community. Whether it's with um, youth that I specifically work with, I, I do a lot of youth work and juvenile juvenile justice um, and immigrant communities. I really touch base on community engagement and how school systems are set up and addressing issues involving at-risk and high-risk youth and gang involvement pretty much over on a community and policy aspect of uh, society and community. I I look over that kind of work. Uh, Part-time, I am a psychotherapist, so I do the typical and stereotypical social work work, uh, therapy, if you put it that way.
0: Wow, that's a lot. I mean, everything you just described is a lot, especially, you know, what kind of um, hit me right now, which you had mentioned, was the, the school aspect of, of health, mm-hmm. because, as you know, we're, it, we just, school just started, or here in Texas, school just started, I don't know about New York, did, when did school start, roughly, about for New York?
1: Well, technically, it would be next week, that would start, but oh. because of still planning happening, it would be in two weeks, so wow. we're starting pretty late.
0: Wow, and see, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of things that are going to happen because because you're you're talking about students now if you're and especially if you're working with youth that this is a whole new atmosphere for them because yeah. uh right i mean everything's what virtual um th- mm-hmm. th- that's happening and cause i know like, so right now for like my son he's he's going to school and everything's yeah. virtual and I can see that sometimes he's just like, "What do I do?" Like you know, the the frustration that just goes on because it's not yeah. the same as a, a classroom atmosphere. But at the same time, we want to make sure that you know our kids are safe. But re, you know, besides that, it's not a normal classroom. And
1: no, nope. yeah, exactly. You,
0: you know, and that could be very harmful for a lot of individuals that are not accustomed. And you know what I, I think what I really feel for more are like students that are this is like the first year in school, like kindergarten, pre-K yeah. type? Because, oh my gosh, that's, I can only imagine how those parents may feel. Um, have, have you experienced anything like that with maybe having to deal or talking to parents that are, maybe have first-time children that are going to school for the first time? Or have you seen any type of adjustments that are like, wow, this is really being impactful right now?
1: Yeah, it's actually uh, very interesting um, because for – Uh, many families when it comes to um, school they're accustomed to the traditional go to to an actual building and stay there for seven hours while they work Um, it it leaves a lot of questions for parents who aren't as privileged as many others who are able to whether they have one uh, a, a general nuclear family where mom is at home dad is working or other way around and or you have an older sibling that's able to take care of the kids um without the fear of um losing their household um yeah a lot of families that i work with specifically some have had to to the extreme leave their child at home and be able to go to work or have to have had to have Hours change for work, where they're working overnight as their children are sleeping, or figuring out some way. So, um, in other instances where uh, kids aren't safe at home at all, and so as much as many okay with the virtual learning, which is, I mean, I'm um, it, it it like you said, it becomes difficult for even children to get accustomed to, just adjusted to, because if you're a first year a student. Whether they are in, going to, into, into kindergarten, or even um, students that are new to schooling in the United States, some I work with aren't even from this country. Some are newly arrived youth who are really trying to adjust to, to the lifestyle here. And wow. because there's no school, it's like, okay, how do I get? It? How do I even use this computer? Back in my country, we didn't have, it. or I didn't use electronics because we didn't afford it.
0: So, Wow. I mean, that's, that, that must be tough, man. And, and you know what, what's fascinating about this um, is we live in a, a, a world or in society today where technology is just so available to us, especially mm-hmm. here in the United States, and where uh, people from other countries, um, they don't have some of the luxuries that uh, we're accustomed to. And, exactly, um, yeah. You know, it could be, easy to disregard the lack of knowledge and that knowledge gap that some individuals may have because they don't have the same access to what we currently have. Um, mm-hmm. Because I can only imagine me being in school at that age, in ele- especially in elementary. And yeah. I-, I think about how I used to get made fun of for like the dumbest things. You know, because maybe mm-hmm. I didn't have a name brand shirt or there was a hole in my shirt, Whatever the case may be. And I can only imagine now what kids might say to individuals where you don't know how to use a computer or you don't know how to do yeah. this. you know, and th- that's a mental health issue. And I think people, um, I think it's becoming more open now. I think because of social media, people are starting to understand that there are gaps um, in the mental health realm, um, but that there mm-hmm. is help available to them. But um, I still think that there are individuals and people that think of it as like there's something wrong with you, like in a negative aspect, not that not as of, hey, there's room for opportunity and growth. Like we just need to see someone or speak to someone to help us um, get to that point where, you know, we're we're self-sufficient and knowing and understanding the environment that we're currently in.
1: Um, Definitely.
0: Yeah. So I want to ask you this, man. So what influenced Mm -hmm. you to go into social work?
1: Well, it's actually pretty interesting. Um, before social work, like way, way before I read social work, um, it kind of jump start way back when I was in high school. Actually, uh, I was a very active student in high school. I was a part of clubs. I did extra like extracurriculars, um, like running track. I did community service. I did a lot of community engagement, um, and. One thing that came to mind was um, how I wanted to go into something that had to do with the human mind, the brain. Um, this was years after I had um, a brain, uh, brain surgery to remove a brain tumor. Um, and after that situation, I wanted to go into this, like a, a study of neurology, but because I'm not so good at science, in the, in the mathematical sense. I was not pushing myself to that that route. So I decided to take psychology. Um, I took a class in high school. I was like, I love it, uh, learning about the mind, learning about how the brain works and all that such. Um, I was just going about it. And undergrad, I took uh, my, I already jumped into my major in my first year and I was a psych major. And all the classes I was taking was really pushing me to like go into psychology. Um, Then learning about, I was about, I could say junior year where I started to learn about the process of becoming a psychologist and realizing that um, I guess personally I wasn't going to make it that far. And that was because to practice psychology as a clinician, you need to get into a Ph.D. program, obtain your, doc, uh, your doctoral degree and be able to be licensed to the state of New York. Um, and I kind of didn't have to, I didn't really have that motivation to get to, to go that to get through that. I still felt like I was not ready yet. So I I took a class in social work because I kind of wanted to just increase my my, uh, value of my degree by having a minor. And, Lord behold, I fell in love because what social work taught me was that with psychology, you focus on the mind. You focus on the person. You kind of go into the theoretical perspectives of a person's mindset. The id, ego, super ego—how how one perceives the world around them based off their traumas and their childhood and development, all that such. Um, with social work, you have to really think outside the box. And when I say that, you really have to go from okay, this person learning the personal, like a person's personality, the theories of behavior—pretty much the same thing with psychology learns. Then really, stepping out, okay this person and their family then this person in groups social groups intimate groups or whatever groups they're in then person to the community and then from person into let's say a, na- a national population or what how this person is identified on a policy or legislation and how does this group of people are how is this person uh, a part of this group of people that are affected by it laws and all that such. So that, that that kind of drew my attention a lot. And also because social work, if you're licensed to, um, to your state, you're able to practice clinical social work, like do therapy. So at first I wanted to be a therapist, which is why I went to grad school. And my first year of grad school, I took a course in social welfare, which is basically macro social work, which is basically policy work and community engagement, and that was when my mind shifted from wanting to do therapy because it was closely related to psychology, like psychologist um, uh, work at, at work aspect to, uh, I did not want to do therapy. I, therapy was the last thing on my mind. I wanted to be a social worker that engaged in the community that kind of understood the reasons why um, certain laws exist. Um, and most of my area of work kind of evolved around criminal justice um, and juvenile justice because that is where most of the marginalization begins and as you can see like in our current world criminal justice is like, is like on every headline um when it comes to police and all that such but like really going into that that was basically what pushed me to do um social work in that realm and really working with um going into uh, how social work and how my my skill set is the toolbox i have kind of is important when it comes to law enforcement, when it comes to attorneys and the law and the people that they are sworn in to protect,
0: yeah well, and that is that is fascinating um, your journey as to why you wanted to do what you what you do currently do now and the road that got you there because it seemed like you when I hear the psychology and then the health, and then like, there was just, there's so much that went into it, man, to to make that decision. (laughs) (laughs) Like that's, uh, and that's tough. Uh, But I I do have a a question for you on this. So Mm -hmm. social work, you know, what I've, I guess, always been told about social work is that it's a very underappreciated job. Um, Yeah. It's not a job where you're gonna get the highlights and the kudos um, like the social media blast, that hey, congratulations type of thing. It's um, and yeah. not only underappreciated, but also underpaid. Is, is that relevant to what you're seeing right now in, in your field?
1: Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, that is, um, I would say, aside from uh, trying to obtain hours to be el- eligible to take my license, my clinical license exam mm. after I complete 3,000 hours. Um, the only other reason why I, I do have a second job is because my current salary does. in, in New York State, mind you, um, is uh, kind of, it, social work in New York State pays really well. And unfortunately, that really well is just enough. Like, if not enough, it's barely, like, you're pretty much on the line where you can, you could, you could financially uh, live, if not with um, some leverage if you ha- live with somebody or you live with parents. So it's very difficult. Um, and... The workload is very hectic because in clinical social work or if you're working at a private practice or a clinical practice um, or in a clinic or hospital, um, depending on what type of institution it is, some, some hospitals do pay well, um, but many organizations, uh, they, the workload is like being able to maintain a heavy burden of cases, numbers, being able to follow through the jurisdictions of the Office of Mental Health. If you're working with mental health adult adults in with severe mental illness. If you're working with children, kind of following the regulations of the Office of Family and Children's Services here in New York. If you're working with disabled individuals, being able to follow the jurisdictions of Office of People with Disabilities. If you're um, or if you're working on um, on grants and such, being able to uh, certain uh, institutions to kind of anything that's being billed through Medicaid or insurance is gonna be very hectic. Um, and unfortunately, other areas of social work, like if you're working as a, uh, a grant writer or proposal, like a policy analyst or someone that's um, the, the, like a coordinator or program director or such like that, that are survive, like the survive off of grants. that is basically what you have to make sure you're able to maintain, if not aim for more. Like, for me, my my current full time is under a grant um, for three years. So I, luckily, I am. It's just it's was just recently renewed, so I have some time. But that brings the question: like, it, it, is it, a, is my position um, a, a self sustaining position where I don't have to worry over time? Wow. Um, so it becomes very it becomes very stressful, especially when it comes to the experience. But then again. Where If you see yourself sticking to a place for so long, then that's something that would worry. But if you see yourself kind of moving up the ladder, you kind of um, start to see it as um, opportunities to transition slowly with the amount of time that you think you're going to have to really build up the skill set that you need.
0: Wow. And, and that could be uh, frightening and, and fearful for a lot, especially in a place like New York where um just the the cost of living is pretty high mm-hmm. um yeah. because you you tell me the cost of living in New York I'll tell you the cost of living in Texas and you're just like dang that's cheap <laughs> because it's it's a huge yeah, gap it it's a huge gap it is. you know it
1: really is it's it's like I know a, like I've been apartment hunting and for me to actually find a uh a one bedroom apartment would be at least 1550 or 1500 to 1550 just starting off. And these are in probably neighborhoods that are, I wouldn't say dangerous, but somewhat have a risk. Um, so it's like, you really have to um, be able to balance yourself. A lot of social workers work two jobs. Some are um, working three jobs. Uh, so it, it, it kind of like gets us um, really act asking ourselves what else what can we do with our degree and that's the thing about social work it kind of trains you to tackle on um, multiple areas of work or different type of um, positions whether you are like a counselor you play a counselor role or you play a director role or you play a, uh, a researcher role which I've had that experience when I was in grad school I was a research assistant so research is a major part of social work you have to be able to know how to kind of adapt to new things in life um being able to teach and educate there are social workers that are, are lecturers and professors um and that was also another skill set that i developed while in school was being able to teach um and really having to have that t- sense that you want to ch- change you want change that's like the thing mm-hmm. about what you, what, you mentioned, uh, what you mentioned before about being unappreciated, is the fact that social work we're not doctors like social workers are not doctors and so we're not like psychologists or psychiatrists where news articles will say that this psychiatrist um, has made major strides in treatment for people with mental illness. So most of the staff that are such that works under the psychiatrist are social workers. Um, so we're, we're really just the, the working boots. We're the people that really have to get on the ground. A lot of people currently, um, like if you if you're if we're listening to what's going on with the pandemic, we we um the the general the painting of a br- of a brush is basically seeing essential workers as um, doctors, uh, medical doctors and nurses, which they are amazing because um, being a social worker, we are we are trained to kind of be on their side, work as a team. We develop that team skill set, yeah. but we are but it's very hard like to say that we're not really seen as essential, like that those are essential workers, especially uh, social workers and clinicians that work in hospital settings, um, especially here in New York. We, we've, like, we've had um, multiple uh, uh, colleagues of mine that I know of that work in hospital settings that would say that for me to work here, being able to develop a discharge plan with family, a family member who just lost their uncle or their father or mother to COVID, 19. It's just like, how do we go about it? And for me to come home to, with the risk of me getting affected is very, very uh, fearful. So we don't get that much of, as much as appreciation, I would say, during this time, though um, it's not something new. It's been happening for so long.
0: Yeah, well, I'll, I'll tell you firsthand, man, um, that I, I appreciate what, y- what you do, and it's More of because of what you are doing. Um, You're influencing people, you're having an impact in children's life, in the youth life, Uh, and not just the youth. um, I think it goes beyond that too, because if you impact a child in their youth, um, you know, what makes you think that they're not going to affect their families and and so forth. So it, you know, I really believe that when you're blessing someone in that way with either its knowledge or help, whatever the case may be. You really reap what you sow, man. And, you know, I'll ask you this. if If they were able, if someone were able to give you, like, hey, look, I'm just going to give you all this money, whatever you want, or you can have the satisfaction of knowing that you changed someone's life, what would you choose?
1: I honestly would choose um, the opportunity to give every child, uh, especially the children I work with, uh, opportunity to uh, to to aim for the stars. I um, guess the thing about social work, too, because it's a, it's a career where you have to put... It's like it's qual- it's about the quality instead of quantity. Yeah. And so, I, 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 I mean, granted, of course, we all need money, and, of course, I, I need to live. Um, but just being able to live with just enough is good for me. And honestly, it doesn't really have to do with the fi- finances for me. It's more so being able to give the opportunity to other kids whether it is youth I work with in juvenile detention centers, whether it is a child that's on probation or parole, uh, probation, whether it is a young adult going to an open court case who's received a, uh, a transferred to alternatives to, incar- to incarceration treatment program, and we're trying to push them to graduate college, or adult that just left prison for 30 years and just wants to return to community without the fear of going back to prison, or even people in, in jails, is the fact that um, they are they're actually pe- they are people people who commit an offense is not are not any different than someone who has never committed a, a offense in their life um, and the fact that the justice system itself uh, looks at one person differently than the other is why we have so much disparity this much uh, so much um, uh, tension in communities which is why so many communities are facing, changes uh lack of education lack yeah. of resources and just seeing all of that it's just like i what would be what would be the best what would be the good for me to have any type of um like riches or whatever if i have to see this regularly and i can't live with that at all like I, it would for me it would be um more so depressing as opposed to self-accomplishing so that's why for me personally like i if i had the opportunity to see a child leave like um, to graduate from the probation uh, uh, sentence, uh, sentence with their charges dismissed, or if I'm able to work with someone who just got their charges reduced to a um, a violation and not have to spend three years in jail, um, or someone who's been able to get a job and remain uh, sober and drug-free for a year or, or several um, after experiencing... Um, a long-term sentence that would just mean the
0: world to me. Yeah, and that's and that's awesome man that that's what you feel that's you're holding true to what your work is and that's to impact people's lives um and to be a voice for them too. Um because I think there's there's a lot of individuals that are um you know that are in prison in jail um detention mm-hmm. centers or whatever the case may be and without going to detail of what they might have done, um, sometimes they need a voice too. Regardless of how the world may view them or individuals, ev- everyone deserves a voice and everyone deserves their time. And I- I'm just glad that you're you're there being an advocate for those um, individuals mm-hmm. that, that need that assistance and they need that help. And so kind of going into that, man, um, so I do want to ask you this. Is there any specific case or maybe types of cases that you've handled that have really impacted your life and whatnot.
1: Yeah, of course. I think um, one thing from uh, one case uh, for me, there was a a teenager I was working with. Um, well, two actually. There was two different two different cases, and one case was actually um, a young. Uh, one was a young adult he was charged with trespassing and his story was very interesting to me because um, this was someone that's gone through so much trauma, um, especially not being, not being born here. They, uh, they were, they were some, they were a person that was born um, in Haiti. So it was like going through, and he lived through the earthquake that hit Haiti hard and witnessing people die in front of him was a traumatic experience. Um, and so, Without the proper healing over time, it led to his his first offense, um, and just seeing how, how how it hit him and how the justice system here kind of viewed him because he was black as someone that was lesser or didn't really like, to even get the, the the transfer to an alternative incarceration case was a blessing, even that, um, and. Luckily, in the case, in that situation, by being transferred, he had a judge who was also Black African American. So that right there, I mean, granted, depending on how the how that judge's um, perception is, knowing well in a community of how they're seen, he he was in the, he was in good hands because she was a judge that was understanding. Um, but seeing him is just, it's it's like you're living in a community that's high risk. You're living in and when we think of New York we think of New York City and when we think of like New York City we think of um, I mean it, the outskirts place I live on the island of Long Island for people who don't know Long Island Long Island from what a lot of people think about it is South the Hamptons rich houses um, when in, re- in reality it Long Island is one of the most segregated places in this country it is uh, the initial start of housing discrimination laws that started in a town called Levittown, which issued only white people can live in this town. So much wow. of that, uh, the racial background that exists here, um, still exists here. It's not, it hasn't gone away. I mean, granted, you have um, people uh, get serving long-term sentences for offenses that another uh, uh, that would have been probation for like, a young white uh, offence, uh, offender. And so with him, it was like he, he kind of felt demotivated. And working with him side-by-side, side, being able to uh, work with understanding his trauma and how he's able to utilize his experience to, do, to, do, uh, to go beyond really helped him get through his case. After a rough start, Into throughout his case, he was coming back always negative of drugs and alcohol not coming up with anything he was doing what he had to do, and he was moving up. He was able to finish school. He graduated uh, from his uh, community college. And then he was able to maintain his job. He was working with an airport. Um, And it was just seeing him grow as that situation came up, like as his cases were kind of progressing into the point where he graduated from the program. And, of course, with every graduate from then, I see them as, like, like whether they are juvenile probation or young adult probation i see them as like siblings of mine like brother sister. like i i or a child like i see them as someone that i i i will give every effort to help this person grow and then several months later i a staff member from that's in my office would uh came to my door and it was like someone's here to see you and i was like okay maybe it was someone that was a walkie and i didn't know who it was and it was him he was actually um he came into kind of uh he had a, he had a, uh, a traffic ticket which was nothing i wasn't concerned about that but he was also had like he was also just really happy that he, um to see me because he wanted to tell me that because of all the work that he'd been doing he actually was able to uh push uh, put my efforts to getting a uh, a stable set good job and be able to buy a home in florida so he actually just came to see me because he wanted to see me before he moved he drove down but just seeing that how much he went from someone that a judge would have just thrown in jail and give him like two to three years uh, to someone who was able to, who has a stable job, um, with a supportive girlfriend, uh, he was in a partner, he was in a relationship at the time and still is. And uh, buying a house, like this is not something you would, like this, it, it sounds like a movie or show, but it's actually the fact that this happened was something that still today after a year later still sticks to me. Um, and just him was just a, he's just a he was just one of the many stories of um, individuals I work with I mean I've, I've, I've had young um, young teenagers that I've worked with in the jail that um, I would see coming regularly one one day coming in for an assault charge to another coming in for um, a battery assault or uh, or, uh, or or assault with a blunt weapon something like that and then months later really working with them is, again get, helping them understand about their feelings especially young men is uh and then hearing like having them come to my office later and tell me like yeah i just want to i i, I finished my 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 treatment program and i now i'm just waiting to hear back from if i get accepted into this college um wow. it's 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 more than just as as, as simple as it sounds it's like wow like that's where the work goes to and it's something that kind of keeps me rock- rocking like going on and on to the point where i'm not really like i could have an exhausting week but i'm never gonna feel tired going to work because it's something that i i it's a place i feel beyond uh grateful to be at
0: you know so as i mentioned prior that you know how you continue to have that motivation especially in the field that you're in, you know, being very, you know, underappreciated. This right Mm -hmm. here states why you appreciate your job and why people should appreciate what you do. Because you, I'm not going to say single-handedly because I know there's a lot of hands in there, but you had a huge influence on this individual's life. And Mm -hmm. obviously the gratitude was given because he didn't have to show up and see you. But yeah you had a huge impact and influence that changed this this person's life and yeah. that that is awesome because you're right there are there are a lot of judges that are out there that would just you know th- throw away the case and just be like hey you're going into the system because of X mm-hmm. y and Z and, and we see it all the time it happens and we see it a lot too especially with yeah. people of color. Um, mm-hmm. You see it with uh, Latinos out there, um, and and, yeah. and obviously there's a huge range of Latinos because it's not just uh, Mexican as, as some people like to say that all Latinos yeah. are just Mexican. But no, there's Haitian, Puerto Ricans, Dominicans. It, the list goes on. But um, we are looked at differently um, than mm-hmm. s- certain individuals, and um, it's good to see that making an impact. And you're being an influence, man, and and that's awesome to to see. So, you know, kind of talking about being an influence, um, you know, I kind of want to talk about your activism a little bit, um, because activism now, just like your work, has become a somewhat of a symbol of hope for for people, uh, especially during the pandemic and what is happening with the Black Lives Matter movement right now. Mm-hmm. So, I, I do want to ask you, how did you get started? Uh, with being an activist and uh, what are you currently fighting for today?
1: So I would actually have to say the reason why I got really into um, uh, activism and specifically criminal justice um, is from my personal experience actually being arrested um, five years, well, from now to day, back in 2015, um, I actually got uh, charged with uh, initial charge with a DWI, and going through the whole process in New York City, where it was like going through the arrest booking arraignment, um, the trauma that was initially the trauma I I experienced with handcuffs in my back, to my back, um, and going through the system, being staying in a jail cell watching an office like officers take down someone who was asking why they were like they think they, they had like why they being arrested and 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 this is new york city um in the bronx um gave me a whole view of why of how our system is set up from the day you led the day you pretty much decide to make you make a decision to the day you're arrested to the day you finish your court case or if you had to go to your sentence. Luckily for me, um, because I was was graduating college at that time, um, I was given a violation, which is a rare case. But because of being the model minority, um, it gave uh, somewhat of a, a reflection of um, okay, this, this this kid is not kind of doing anything. He already got into a master's program, this and that. Which kind of drew the question to me. is like, well, yes, I'm um, Latino and um, being, to be specific, Salvadoran, and I'm not white, um, but because I have all these demerits, like I have had all these uh, lists of, okay, I have to show my resume. I have to show my work engagement. I have to show this and that. I have a, I'm have about to get to graduate to so show that. Um, it's almost like a classic sense of uh, entitlement um, because for me to have the privilege to do that, not many have that opportunity to do that. And unfortunately, if you don't have, to, I didn't have that. If I didn't have this privilege to have this type of status of, of where I was at the time. Um, I would have done a year, um, and I wouldn't have been able to be a social worker um, or whatever I did now. So that was what kind of got under my skin was why why it had to take me to do. Uh, a through Z and to, uh, to get a violation when there are people who can't even afford uh, a new pair of pants that have to go in and out of a jail cell or prison cell because um, they can't afford the opportunities I have. And so I started to look more into criminal justice uh, from there. I mean, prior to that, before seeing myself in jail, I had, I've had to visit jail. Uh, I had my dad in jail on um, before. Um, and because of growing up in a neighborhood that is my my area is predominantly salvadoran um much of, of salvadorans and central americans live here on long island as a, as, a, as long island is considered a hub of central americans um as much as it is in south los angeles and also in places like maryland and virginia so where where i'm at here when you say you're salvadoran you're basically saying you're ms-13 so it's kind of being surrounded by people who are yeah. in a gang. I was like, I wasn't really necessarily someone that was gang material from from their perspective, but being around people who were in gangs, it it, it was interesting because it's like I knew where they grew up and I knew how they grew up. And um, for communities that are for do the time, you do the crime, you do the time perspective, capital punishment, serving multiple years in prison, um, they forget the, the the importance of people and how people become, like, become who they are. And it's not because someone just wakes up to say, you know what, I'm gonna just drive my, today I'm gonna wake up and get into my car and drive through a a group that is sitting outside. No one really comes up with that. It's more a sense of the trauma that they experience over time and how that trauma and that, whether it's domestic violence or watching their parents beat each other up or uh, sexual assault or abuse, or vice or or etc like that right there um that that those are aspects that are being delayed and because of these aspects um being delayed and not neglected people are committing offenses they're losing their rights that also includes increasing homelessness that increases the risk of people getting severe mental um living with severe mental illness or living with a severe and chronic medical condition um you're going to have high mortality rates. You're going to have um, more cr- criminal, uh, criminal, uh, criminal activity and uh, prison recidivism. You're going to have low education skills. You're going to have lack of production and academic uh, uh, deficits because there's not that much employment. You're going to have all these issues, and that all links to criminal justice. And that's the thing about people who don't really see that is the fact that they think of criminal justice like, is, okay, someone commits a crime. Now you go to you go to you get arrested, go to court, jail. They don't see how all of that right there is systemic um, in a way where everything from schools to a person's zip, um, own zip code to a person's very own bedroom can have an impact on a person's mentality. Um, and so I do. I, I started to jump into that um, in, in criminal justice, and I would say. Uh, specifically um, within criminal justice, my focus relies a lot on restorative justice because we're so used to having law enforcement based um, engagement, where okay, you know what, we'll have a police officer, we'll 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 give this person the max sentence and then that's it. But the question is, what is this person going to do once they're released? What support does that person have once they are um, they do serve that thirty-year sentence? They're coming back into community. They if if you know that that person is going into prison for either attempted murder or something, and they're coming out, what is the game plan afterwards? If you don't have a game plan, you're just gonna to continue to see the, that crime increase and escalate to something even worse. Um, I always think of the, my, the, the, the and this is with youth as well. And for me, I was reading a, a quote, I forgot the, the writer um, who, who wrote it together, but for me, every, um, every child is one carrying adult away from being a success story. And for me that sticks out really hard because it's like a lot of youth that i work with whether it is doing an intake with them in the juvenile center and i first watch them come in all tough and everything and like yeah yeah i just i'm in jail and what or i i just like i, I almost st- i stabbed this kid and i'm here now because they're going to send me upstate blah, blah blah it's okay so let's talk about your relationship at home how are you and your dad and it's like them bursting mm-hmm. into tears because their dad is also in prison yeah, or so their yeah. dad was just murdered or seeing that their, um, their, their father is in a gang. I had a youth I was working with beforehand who was, um, he was in a gang. And every single time he talked about his father um, because his father was also in a gang. And it's like listening to his father on the phone telling him that he never wanted him to be in a position that he was, and he never wanted to see his son end up being like him. And just seeing that, 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 broke, that, that pain right there, it's like this is something that we're able to prevent. But because on a... Political level and on a, um, a socio a, so, this, this socioeconomic level, we see it as an, as a as not as important, and it because these are mostly communities that don't have that are not highly represent that are not represented in, in political and positions or are not seen as the privileged one. These are oftentimes black and brown communities that experience this heavily, as opposed to white communities, and with numbers to prove it.
0: Yeah, that, that's a, and, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, man, that's a problem for me, me personally, and, and just my <laughs> beliefs, um, because you have to think about this. So you mean to tell me that because I'm a quote-unquote minority, um, yeah. I'm already put into a category of how really my life is going to be planned out in a way. Yeah. If if I happen to get arrested or go to jail, because that's what it's pretty much stating, because you have to think about this, Mm -hmm. if you're looking at a jail and a systematic presence like that in the United States, the majority of the people that are in prison um, for a crime are minorities. Um, Yeah. And there's a a reason for that. Right. Mm -hmm. And I I think you're exactly right. We have to dig a little bit deeper and I'm very big on funding more and making more resources available, especially for mental health. um, Because I think a lot of that leads to that where, Individuals okay. are committing crimes. Now, we, I have to, and this is where this, I, I don't know, like I say the silver lining, but it's also a double-edged sword. I, I guess I would kind of explain it better, is that we also have to understand that we are our own individuals. And not everyone that has a traumatic event is going to end up going to prison or committing a crime yeah, or anything like that. There are individuals yeah. that overcome it. And they've, yeah. they state, hey, I, this is not going to be my life. But there are also yeah. individuals that, um, unfortunately, are not going to think that way. And they may need a little bit more special attention and special care um, to prevent them from leading into a life of, uh, I don't, I'm not going to say destruction, but a, a life of of um, where it doesn't need to be, should I just say, just yeah. to, to be nice about it. So, um, yeah. But I really like what you stated earlier Um because you, you kind of stated politically and then you kind of changed it to systematic, which I think kind of goes hand in hand in a way. Because yeah, it does. There are a lot of politicians that are out there that are afraid to touch something that states, hey, we're going to help people that are incarcerated and when they when they come out, we're going to help them live their life. And mm-hmm. it, you, I can already just see people cringing being like why why are we going to spend money or why are we going to provide resources for that and it's yeah. it's kind of like well why not because you, we have to kind of think about the bigger picture here um because mm-hmm. I, I i think there are a lot of individuals that are afraid to touch certain s- subjects you know but if if you kind of think about it if we are able to provide the resources and tools that are needed to help these individuals that are coming out of of a almost a traumatic. State too, because prison is not just peaches and roses. You know, oh, no, no. there are things that happen there. um So, if we're able to provide that the mental health that they need, resources to provide them to get them on their feet, but we're actually investing mm-hmm. our times, not just saying, "Hey, here's a small little bill that's they can go to this community center and, and get help if they want to." No, not something like that. I'm talking about actually mm-hmm. putting it on the table and saying, "Like, hey, look, this is what we're gonna do for them." Well, what's the likelihood of them actually contributing more to society, right? What What is the yeah. likelihood of them, you know, getting a job, paying taxes, um, you know, contributing to the economic growth of the U.S. I mean, there's there's so many benefits to it. Now, yeah. keep this in mind too. I think a lot of the downfall though, is that once you are incarcerated, um, and you come out of the system, like you kind of lose a lot too. Right, yeah. you, you, you lose a lot of opportunities. Um, you know, a lot with you, you with, yeah, I mean,
1: you lose your rights,
0: yeah, you, you do. You, you lose you, your
1: voting rights, you lose your opportunity for housing. If you got charged with an offense, some landlords don't even take your application in. If you are, um, depending on your uh, violation or if it's a, a, a misdemeanor or felony charge, your employers doesn't even want to hire you, um, and so. That that gives more incentive for people to return to the crime. If it was selling drugs that they were doing, to sell drugs. If it was illegal prostitution, then they're going to return to that. If it was uh, uh, armed bank robberies, um, then they're going to go back to that because they know for a fact that they're not going to be able to obtain any type of employment.
0: Yeah, and uh, and I do challenge politicians because I know. I can already hear it, and I feel like if we have listeners here that are like what do you mean helping them out like okay I, I get it people okay, but the thing is is like We're all humans we all make mistakes yeah. and some of us Some of us that are out there. We've committed crimes. We just haven't been caught. That's just the the, the reality of things We've done bad yeah. things everyone has There's no one on here in this world. That, that's perfect um, the, the reality is, is you just haven't been caught in a certain situation, um, but I also yeah. think about this because um, my wife and I have this conversation all the time and because this used to be my mindset, well, they should have known better, right? I, I used to yeah. think that. I used to think that, well, they should have known better. <laughs> they should have known that they're breaking the law, but then I also yeah. think about this, right? I don't know what's going on behind closed doors. What if, what if someone is getting um, sexually assaulted every single night by their father or uncle? Right? Yeah. What What if, um, what if a, a child all they see is their their parents that are doing drugs or always hung over or drunk all day long, right? Mm-hmm. What if uh someone seeing someone getting beaten every single day? We don't yeah. understand what goes on behind closed doors, but we are so quick to start judging. Oh yeah. As yeah, soon of as, course. And and as soon as we get out of that mentality of. Automatically what we're going to do is judge and I know it's super hard. I know it's hard Okay, because I I, I, I'm guilty of it too sometimes But we really have to be better as just human beings and individuals of understanding that There's a lot of stuff that goes on behind closed doors that that we don't understand Um, And it does affect people's mental health and unfortunately sometimes yeah, yeah, and unfortunately sometimes uh, They kind of get put through the ringer uh, whether it is committing a crime, having to go into the system, where the case may be, when really all of this—if we understood what was going on, and we were able to provide the help that they needed—it could have been a different outcome.
1: Oh yeah, oh yeah, definitely that. I mean, that was—I could definitely agree with you. Before me going through the system, um, I actually had the same type of, i could I definitely agree. I definitely was someone that was say. Well, if you if if you just stayed home, it would have not happened, and it, or if you didn't drive, it wouldn't have took place, or maybe if you just listen and you follow the rules, you wouldn't be where you're at. Um, and that was my ignorance of before then, and then really going to the commerce, uh, get uh, going that experience, and and um, getting more acquainted with the work I do, and then becoming basically. This type of area of work being my life, pretty much, um, I began to uh, uh, encounter situations where ca- I've, re- I've met with cases. I met, um, I would meet teenage uh, girls who were being arrested for, um, they they uh, for a grand theft auto. They sold someone's car. i um, accidentally crashed into a house, or crashed, um, or um, assaulted someone. And they're now uh, in um, critical condition. And you think to yourself, like, well, you you know why you're here and you're in jail, Um, until you find out that this is a child. uh, This teenage girl was actually from another state, about uh, coming from the west coast, and managed to find their way into New York because they were escaping a sex trafficking ring. So this is these like you like you don't think about that, but it happens i mm-hmm. had instances where i've had young young um young salvadoran boys who um for them it was um the reason of being being brought up was because of uh, murder charges and it wasn't because they did it out of spite it was because they were um, manipulated and and brought into a gang by force um understanding they don't really have the resources to get help and because of course in in many many communities spanish uh, speaking services is very minimal is that um and not being able to get the help they need to the point where they now have to find themselves experiencing a 15 cent a 15 year sentence uh, or 25 year sentence with no parole and deportation so these are these are things that we don't ask ourselves we don't ask What 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 we've come to become? What we as people here in, especially in our current day and age in this country, is become more individualistic. We become more concerned about our our needs. Is it is it going to feed me? Is it going to teach me? Is it going to give me a job? Is it going to keep me stay afloat? Am am I going to be safe? Um, when in fact, uh, the uh, and we kind of see it the individualistic perspective doesn't necessarily do justice unless it is, okay, you know what? I shouldn't care about someone else's life, but God forbid my son or my daughter or my parents, they commit an offense. Now it is my, like, darn right, like, like priority to be able to address this concern because this is not going to happen any longer. And as much as that sounds so, like, Scripted, like it's so like typical. It's true. I mean, granted, you had situations in the past where you've had uh, um, uh, uh, the three strikes law in California, and the uh, where where people were being uh, incarcerated, especially black in black communities, for life sentences after the third offense and for any offense, and and then that leading to increased. Um, drug to, uh the, the drug wars and you've had all these uh, 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 kind of like criminal uh, law enforcement based interventions that ultimately put people behind bars for their whole lives. Um, until now where we're having the need for evidence-based practice in mental health because of the opioid op- epidemic and just the difference between crack war and opioid ad- epidemic is it is, is it right there is the example of how society views issues that don't impact them compared to impacts uh mm-hmm. issues that might impact the family and then things have to change and that is what we 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 kind of draw ourselves to empathy um empathy and respect but also mutual understanding and unconditional love it's something that is very very it's like it's almost like a it's a skill set that we have to we have to teach ourselves and constantly teach ourselves because as much as we say we are open to understanding of people's problems or issues or experiences, whether it is out in the open or behind closed doors, we continue to uphold biases that hold, that give us a justification for why we think that things should not, like change should not happen.
0: Yeah, and you know, I will tell you this, right now, like you had mentioned, we really do is, or what we really have here is, we live in a a selfish society, man. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of us we we think about us and what have you done for me lately, um, yeah. type of mentality. And um, I, I think that if if we kind of change it up a little bit and start understanding and showing empathy, like you had mentioned, um, it it really can go a long way because we get a better understanding. And I also We'll state this. Um, the best way to do that is really to have conversations and educate ourselves of what's really going on in the world. I understand that there's a lot of media attention on, on certain aspects of life right now, especially during the pandemic and Black yeah. Lives Matter movement and the presidential elections. There's a lot of information, and there's also a lot of misguided information. Um, oh, but yeah. but I, what I will state is this: is you know, if we can all just really find it in our hearts to understand that there are going to be people who think different than us, but let's have a conversation. Mm-hmm. Let's have a respectable conversation with each other that where we don't have to be ugly with each other. We don't have to be disrespectful, but just so that we can get a better understanding of where each of us are coming from, because I believe that that yeah. really goes a long way. So with that being said, man, um, I, I was happy and excited to see that you participated in the, uh, MLK March. Um, that mm-hmm. just happened in DC and it actually uh, just got posted yesterday in the Washington Post and you have a an awesome picture of you and some of our other fraternity brothers there um, so I, I kind of want to know about your experience because right now we're living in a crazy time with with 2020 and it feels like we're mm-hmm. living back in the 60s in a way and I think what's very interesting is that you participated in this MLK march with this Black Lives Matter movement that's going on. And Mm -hmm. it's just very ironic to see that this is exactly what Martin Luther King was actually fighting for. Um, And here we are years later, and it seems like we're still having some of the same battles. So kind of tell me about your experience. How impactful was it? Uh, Were you able to share? Um, some stories with other individuals that were there? I mean, just how was that atmosphere?
1: So it was actually um, a very, I, I, when I say diverse atmosphere, um, yes, it was a Black Lives Matter um, march, but I've seen white folks, I've seen Asian folks, I've seen Arabic um, associations, that, that support Black Lives Matter present. I've seen Latinos come together. I've seen folks that address um, the issues within LGBTQ community and with through the Black Lives Matter that, that involves Black trans lives. I've seen um, folks that are old, folks that are fairly young. I've seen children. I've seen um, many faces of people that ultimately ultimately took the time in their lives to be present under 100-degree weather, just like sun beaming on us, several people being taken out by EMS because of heat stroke or um, and luckily being tested beforehand to get into the march because they had volunteer doctors present. So it was a good thing. I'm really happy that was present in a a free testing site. So a lot of members in the community coming together to address these issues. In... It was. A, I was. It, it was interesting because it's also a historic moment. In August 28 in 1963, Martin Luther King gave his "I Have a Dream" speech at that very same location. August 28, 2020, um, Martin Luther King III gave his uh, gave a speech along with Reverend R. Uh, Al Sharpton, and of course. The families of people uh, of of the of vict- uh, the victims of the recent um, police killing uh, killings, from um, that initiated these, these, this movement and multiple um, uh, protests, um, and it, it all tailored back to the story, well, the history of the murder of Emmett Till, who was accused, falsely accused by a white woman and without due process and a proper judge, uh, justice system upholding his right to fair hearing, he was lynched and um, mur- uh, murdered, and his body was found in a river where his mother had his casket open for the public to see what happens um, as a Black person in the United States. And for us, it's it's interesting because I, as a Latin- Latino and a brown Latino at it, um, I've, I, I see, this is a, a, a moment for me to teach myself to learn, to learn what's around me, and that's what I usually do is it, it gave me a sense to understand more about what is around, because for many of us, honestly, um, especially in, in, in privileged communities, we, like you mentioned, it feels like we're in 1963, or um, it's like we're, we're still back, it feels like it's back time, but for Black and African American communities, this has been happening ever since uh, slave ships hit the ports in the, the western, in the eastern um, coast of this continent, of this uh, country. Like this has been pre- pre- present uh, even before United, uh, slave ships have hit the United States. When slave ships have hit um, the Caribbean, landing into ports in, in, in Puerto Rico and 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 uh, Haiti. These are these are, this has been existed for so long that for them it is unfortunate that it is a generational trauma that exists to this day. Um, we don't acknowledge it. We don't take advantage of it. Or in terms of we don't we don't see what has happened throughout the years because we lack the ability to take accountability for our actions. And from that march, it gave us, it gave me, the, it gave me a personal sense that um, I have the ability, I have the privilege to um, what, where I stand in my profession, in my academics, in my active role in the community, to support. To to educate to check anyone that I know personally um, uh, who doesn't even see this as an issue for them. This is like a, a show or a sense of all these conspiracies that are coming up. Like you mentioned, misinformation. Um, it 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 only takes it only takes uh, several seconds to go to a a, a reputable uh, information site or even a book to actually read about what. Like our, our, the history of this country, and unfortunately, we because we're a society that needs quick answers to justify our our beliefs, we jump to anything that we agree to, and that is what the, we have to recognize as a country is understanding where we stand, but also understanding what is the difference between what actually happens and what one person wants a person wants you to believe, and so I I, I at that moment for me um, was just. Uh, an added spark to the ongoing motivation I have to really address the issues that impact um, the my uh, minority communities, spe- uh, specifically black communities, especially, and the work I do with the Latino community, because we also have to remember when people say, why do I have to, why can't we, if we're focused on the black lives, why can't we focus on immigrant lives?" we're forgetting also that everything intersects like um, that's the thing about this country to be assumed that we can only focus on one issue and not focus on multiple issues mm-hmm. i'm a person that uh, i'm a person that uh i take all the time i need to really do what i can to support and and promote um black lives matter and supporting colleagues of mine who have businesses of their own or really charming into their but they what what they need support in so i can do what i can to help but also Giving my time to represent the community members I serve in the Salvadoran community about immigration, the fact that we still have issues on the border, and it's possible to do both. Like I, um, you could, you could, you could focus on Black Lives Matter and focus on LGBT rights. You could do Black Lives Matter and push for elderly care or Medicaid for all. Like this is stuff that is not. A SINGULAR IN THIS SENSE WHERE WE ASSUME THAT EVERYTHING HAS JUST ONE FOCUS. and THAT'S THE THING THAT PEOPLE HAVE. IT'S THE THING THAT PEOPLE ARE NOT UNDERSTANDING. IT'S THE FACT THAT you're not, YOU'RE NOT FORCED TO JUST PICK ONE SIDE. WELL, YOU'RE NOT FORCED TO PICK, I DON'T WANT TO SAY SIDE, YOU'RE FORCED TO PICK ONE ISSUE. You are, THERE ARE MULTIPLE ISSUES THAT IMPACT OUR, our, our COUNTRY. AND also, UNFORTUNATELY, IT'S SOMETHING THAT'S GOING TO STAY THAT WAY UNTIL WE SEE IT, UNTIL SYSTEMICALLY THERE IS CHANGE
0: yeah and that's i think that's what's hard for some individuals is where Mm -hmm. they see a move they see a movement that's happening um and we see a lot of i see it a lot actually within my own community here where it's like why are we just focusing on black lives matter we have children that are still stuck in cages that are still separated from their families and it's kind of like well we're, we're we're not just disregarding that um you know what we're seeing you know, and a lot of it is due to a lot of you know media attention towards the Black Lives Matter movement, but it doesn't mean that you know those child's lives are not forgotten. Um, there are people yeah. still protesting for for yeah. taking children out of cages, for fighting for them to be reunited with their families. Um, there, there's still all of that going on. It's just right now in the moment that we're living in, this is I quote unquote the hot topic. Is that for, mm-hmm. for media puns, I guess? I don't know. Um, but th- that's what it is, and I think that's why there's a lot of focus on it and a lot of media coverage on it. But it's not to say that nothing else is not being um, recorded or nothing else is not being looked at. I know that what impacted us over here um, was the death of uh, Vanessa Guillen. Um, because, yeah. Because, you know, uh, you know hood is just... Um, not, not too far uh, from where I live and it you know it's here in Texas and we saw huge uh, protests that happened in in our communities for her and we had a lot of uh, Latino support especially more so on the Mexican side because she, she was um, predominantly Mexican but we we saw huge support for that and so I, I don't want to mislead anyone in, in saying that it's only about black lives matter right now no it's not it and I, I had to clarify this because it seems like people still don't understand this. When we say black lives matter, it doesn't mean that no other life matters. We Everyone understands that all lives matter. But right now we're in a point where minority groups, people of color, it's like their yeah. lives don't matter enough to make it all lives matter. And that's, that's what we're trying to get to. Yeah. Um, and, and that's where the fight continues. Now, I can have a whole nother hour session with you on (laughs) that movement alone, but uh, I'm going to pause it uh, for there for the meantime, because I do want to have a conversation with you um, about Mm -hmm. something else. And that is, I've noticed that you have mentioned a couple of times on how you would never want to live in Texas. Uh, You mentioned uh, two other States. I believe it's like Alabama and Florida. I I think you've mentioned a couple of times, but I just have to know, man, because I, I live in Texas. I love Texas. I, I, I truly love Texas, but why is Texas in the bottom of the barrel for you?
1: Um, definitely gotta say back to work experience, I will literally not be able to live with the type of job I have in the state of Texas or, um, uh, Florida or Alabama, like, because not because of like the, the pay, but also, um, your the like the current administrator administrations in um in these in the states make it very difficult for individuals that are seeking behavioral health or um any any form of additional treatment or the aspects of restorative justice and criminal justice because these are states where the justice system is still traditional um it makes it it would give me a, a heart attack in a sense i would cringe <laughs> so much because everything's old school like you have states like Alabama um, who liter- will, which will will literally give someone a life sentence for uh, using self a uh, self like if there was a sentoya uh, situation where murdering your uh your sex, your sex trafficker to be for safety causing you to go to prison and needing clemency to be granted opportunity for freedom uh-huh. that the fact that that has to happen that i i would i would literally like i would lose my hair i'd probably be uh (laughs) because it would just drive me insane because i can't live in i I can't if i thought new york was like where i live it's like you compare like new york city as 2020 and my county is like 1970. i'm not trying to go back to 1863. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Man. <laughs> you know, hey, look man I, I completely understand um because laws are a little bit different in the south um they they just are man that's the way it is um <laughs> but I, I will tell you this um i, I would uh, love for you to come sometime to, to texas you're more than welcome to stay with me and I can just show you how beautiful Texas actually is. But I, I will tell you this though, um, because I I consider myself um, sort of like an independent um, there's certain things I love what the Republican Party does and there's a lot of things I don't like what they do. and vice versa with the Democratic Party. There's a lot of things that I, I like what they do and there's a lot of things that I don't like what they do. However, that's why I'm kind of split down the middle in certain things. Um, I think Texas mm-hmm. is a good um, independent state. I know Texas is traditionally red. Um, yeah. But I, I will tell you this, man. Um, a lot of our cities, our major cities, like you know oh, Austin, yeah. San Antonio, Houston, Dallas, um, predominantly Democratic. You know, states mm-hmm. and, and it's a lot of more of the rural areas that are. Kind of red, so and there's a lot of different laws and, and rules in those individual towns and whatnot. But I think what I love about Texas is the culture. There's there's a lot of culture here in Texas, and um, I just want to let you know if you have the stereotype because I get this a lot, where we don't always wear cowboy hats and just ride horses oh, no. all day here. <laughs> okay, I've actually
1: I've, I've actually been to Texas um, in January. My uh, a best friend of mine um, moved. To Houston. So I got a, I got a taste of Houston. And I would say, I mean, granted, uh, you're right on the whole city is way different than a borough life because I think, honestly, anywhere in this country, a city like here in New York, New York City is like straight up blue, like very, very liberal. But when you go to like my area or places like out more out east to like the East End or upstate, like central New York, you're going to have like like hate groups and KKK. Like you will see swastikas like on property and uh, on synagogues, and you will see wow. like there's there's situations where like I remember like but years ago, uh, an immigrant from Ecuador was like jumped, murdered by like um, by a group of kids that were, uh, because he was an immigrant. So it's just like you literally have to take a like a location. I mean, granted, luckily my county is very blue. Um, it's not as crazy as. The eastern end and other places in rural uh, New York. But I mean, Houston is great. I still have to visit, um, I still have to go to uh, uh, Dallas. And I definitely got to uh, um, visit uh, the southern, southern Texas, especially because I'm Salvadoran. And here in New York, it's like if I'm in the city, you're ne- if, you, where is El Salvador? because most of the community members here in the city are Dominican or Puerto Rican yeah. as opposed to like when I went to Texas and was like Mexican and Salvadoran was, like, yeah, I don't feel alone.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, Texas is, you know, you're just going to see a lot of Mexican, man. That That's what we, what we have over here. A, a lot of Mexican. Yeah. Uh, and you know, we're, we're, we're on the border, man, you know, right next to Mexico. So we, we get a, a, a lot of love in our roots. And, you know, obviously as you know, um, Texas used to be Mexico. So, um,
1: yeah, yeah. that's <laughs> so also, that's, that's a also the <laughs> thing that a lot of people don't know, don't remember is that, I guess that phase in history class really just was a, a day they type to cut class <laughs> because literally California, New Mexico, Arizona, Texas, were all Mexico and then bought. So it's just like, yeah, there's that.
0: See a little history lesson for, for those that think that, um, Mexico and other Latin American countries are just shithole countries, I guess. Right. Uh, Don't forget. We used to own America. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. That is a, that is a (laughs) fact. Well, well, man, I'll tell you this, man. I I really enjoyed having this conversation. Um, I know that I'm going to have some family members that are going to enjoy this conversation because I actually have my little sister, um, who's actually going to school right now to be a social worker. And that's what she wants to do. So I know that, um, um, this information is really going to help And so I really appreciate it I hope that people that are listening um, Kind of get a new uh, Found of respect and appreciation For what our social workers have to go through Because it's a lot um, And let's show that appreciation That's definitely well deserved Because they're out there influencing They're out there changing lives And they really are making the world a better place Literally because they are the frontline line people um, That are out um, the last comment that I will state um, for the audience is this: um, Just remember that we're all human beings. Um, you know, it's it's very easy for us to judge a person by their appearance, to judge a person by what they have done. But let's not forget that we all have skeletons in the closet. We're not all perfect. We've all made mistakes. Okay, so let's let's do a better job of having those conversations as to. Maybe what has happened in an individual's life? How can we help? And overall, how can we make this world uh, just a a better place for all of us? So I want to ask you this or just really for the audience, um, if they wanted to reach you or maybe they had questions in regards to social work or maybe some questions on activism, maybe they want to get into they want to become an activist and do some of the things that you want to do. Is there a way that they can reach you?
1: Yeah, definitely. So, um, you can if you feel like email is comfortable, you could email me. My email is cchavez7 at opponline dot net. It's uh, a New York service. I know it's weird. <laughs> <laughs> or um, if you feel like uh, hitting contact me through social media, um, you can. My, my I do have Instagram and Facebook. Instagram, you could reach me at Uh, um, Initio underscore one I-N-I-T-I-O underscore one and Christina Chavez at um, at, uh,
0: Facebook man that is perfect well thank you again so much man I hope people will reach out to you again everyone it all starts with the conversation let's have the conversations let's let's grow our knowledge let's feed our mental health Um, And let's just make this world a better place. I want to thank you so much, man, for spending the time with me. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much.
1: Of course, thank you.
0: Like what you heard? Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to Benito's exclusive. If you have any thoughts or comments you would like to share, I am available on all social media platforms and available anywhere you currently listen to your podcast today. Godspeed, my friends.